Welcome to Solder Smoke, a podcast about wireless technology. We talk about everything from old-time crystal radios to modern digital satellites. All are welcome. Please join us in the Solder Smoke. All right, good morning. It's Sunday, the 29th of July, 2012. This is Solder Smoke 145. You know, lots of lots of excuses for the delay, guys, but uh, most of them are actually good excuses. On the 29th of June, we had a really serious storm come through. Um, the, well, it hit the entire mid-Atlantic coast of the U.S., and I think uh, the epicenter of the damage was, was right here in uh, northern Virginia. It was called the, the derecho storm from the word in Spanish, which means coming right at you. It was a a line of really severe thunderstorms came out of the uh, out of the west, out of the Ohio Valley, and man, it it really tore this place up. It was uh, it was spectacular. Elisa and I happened to be out when the storm hit. It hit at about uh, I guess around 10:30 at night, and we at one point thought we were in a tornado. Um, it was the winds were that uh, that severe. Knocked out power. All the power lines came down. The trees come down, and they bring down the power lines. And um, unbelievable as it might seem, in the in this part of the country, we still have a lot of a good portion of the uh, the power grid out on poles. Nobody wants to chop down the beautiful trees. And I think they estimate it would cost like a million dollars a mile to put the uh, the wires underground. So uh, now, in both summer and winter, uh, bad weather brings down trees and uh, brings down the power lines, and out goes the uh, electricity. Um, it was bad this time too because the storm coincided with a uh, uh, a burst of really severe hot and humid weather. Temperatures were up uh, 100 degrees Fahrenheit, 40 degrees C. Really, really uncomfortable, nasty stuff. We were without power for about about 48 hours, and believe me, it's no fun at all. So this has gotten me interested in the um, alternate energy uh, um, op- options and opportunities. Uh, I, for a while there, I, like everybody else in, in this part of the country, I was thinking about going out and buying a big generator. But uh, I thought better of it. Then I thought about going solar, and uh, I got sticker shock. Uh, plus, I think the trees that I mentioned earlier might cause a problem in that area. Uh, anyway, as a sort of a temporary stopgap thing, I, uh, I went out and bought an inverter, a 1.2 kilowatt inverter that I could run off the, uh, off the car motor. I think that's about the, uh, electricity capability of the Honda Accord anyway. So this will allow us to keep at least some of the lights on and maybe one small air conditioner. In the winter, it'll let me run a, one small fan for the heating system. So, uh, hopefully this will keep things a little bit more comfortable when the next uh, big uh, storm or ice storm or whatever hits, anyway, got me back into two meters. I uh, when everything went down, the only thing I, the only uh, source of storm information that we had that was uh, was good old uh, two meter FM. I pulled out my old Radio Shack handy talkie, powered by um, AA batteries and uh, little rubber ducky antenna, and then some of the repeaters were were functioning, and it became a very valuable source of news and information so um, three cheers for two meters and uh, actually had some fun playing around with that um what else oh um let's see sort of travel log stuff uh, we had the fourth of july we went to the fourth uh, of july uh, fireworks display here always a lot of fun we go to the local high school and uh, sit out there on the football field and watch them fire off the uh 
The fireworks, quite a spectacular display, went on for about 45 minutes. And uh, we all got a laugh because we read about the uh, incident out there in San Diego where somebody, I guess somebody flipped the wrong switch or um, wired the control panel a little bit wrong because out there in San Diego, when they hit the button that was supposed to start the, the fireworks show, the sequence that would go through about 45 minutes or or half hour, um, apparently it all fired at once. <laughs> and the whole thing was over in about three or four seconds. Wow. Uh, that's a that's a bad that's a bad bad uh, equipment problem. Um, let's see what else to report. Sort of in the travel log area here at the beginning of the show. Oh, um, uh, Capucho, the um, the flying uh, English cream cream cheese Latino retriever. Uh, Elisa really felt bad because he has all this uh, hair on him, and it, as as things got hot here, she said, "Oh man, this poor dog is gonna." going to die from the heat so she took him to the uh to the vet and they uh they gave him almost like, almost like a buzz cut he's i don't know like a, if a dog could have a kind of a buzz cut haircut he he got one but i came back and i almost didn't recognize him because he's all the hair was gone he looked like a completely different dog and um the thing is uh, because of the his the color he really sort of looked like a pit bull. So he went from being this uh, completely um, kind of friendly uh, looking and uh, harmless looking uh, golden retriever to being this sort of menacing pit bull like animal, especially because they didn't cut the hair off around his head. So his head was big, sort of like the pit bulls are, you know? And so uh, I think he was enjoying it. At least it would take him for a walk and, you know, other dogs would be scared of him and their owners would kind of walk across to the other side of the street and give us a dirty look and everything else, thinking that we were walking around with a pit bull. So uh, Cappuccino, uh, Capucho had his uh, fun for the summer in being a uh, kind of uh, golden retriever disguised as a pit bull. <laughs> All right, let's see. Um, there has been some radioactivity here in, in spite of the fact that uh, we've had a lot of uh, summertime activity. I'm sure you guys have sort of in the same boat, but... Um, I've been on the air with my uh, DX100 that um, John K2ZA uh, gave me. His dad's DX100 finally got it on the air with the um, <clears throat> with a 75 meter dipole. Having a great time with it, making lots of QSOs on 75 meters and on 40 meters. I even find people on the air on the hour in the early hours of the morning when I am awake and in the shack, and this is uh, quite uh, quite. Uh, an improvement for me because normally I'm sitting here with nobody to talk to, but now uh, there's usually somebody on 75 when I'm there, and I found 75 to be um, friendlier and more uh, more open than I expected it to be. 75 gets kind of a uh, a bad reputation for being very kind of closed, very sort of channelized, and um, a lot of grumpy guys just sitting around on the same frequency uh, fighting with each other. There is uh, an element of that there, let's face it, but uh, there's also a, a lot of very friendly uh, ham radioactivity on that band, and I've been pleased to, to find it. Um, speaking of heat kits, one thing I noticed about the DX100 that I wanted to, to mention here on the show, I, I really love the front panel on the DX100, and I, I, I mentioned to you that I had briefly thought about taking the, uh, the rig that uh, John Zaruba K2ZA gave to me and taking it back to kind of original... Heathkit DX100 condition, but I decided not to because John's dad 
had done such a fantastic job with modifications and it really makes it a, a unique and beautiful rig. So I'm going to leave it just exactly the way it is. But as I was contemplating it, I noticed that they have the connector down there for the microphone on the Heath kit. And I've always seen microphone uh, abbreviated as mic, M-I-C, mic. But on the Heath kit, and I noticed this on other Heath kits that I have around the shack, they actually write out Mike, M-I-K-E, like, you know, like the guy's name. <laughs> is, is that, was that a Heath kit mistake or, or an inside joke? Or was that common with other rigs at the time? It looks, it, frankly, it looks a bit goofy to me. Uh, Mike, M-I-K-E, Vice, uh, Mike, M-I-C. Uh, anyway, I, I don't know. I, I don't have any uh, any modern rigs to compare it with here. Hold on, let me see something. I'm looking over at the HT37. The HT37 has it all written out. Microphone. Anyway, um, Mike or Mike? Uh, let me know. What do you guys think? Uh, what was going on there? Um, hmm. Let's see. Oh, I um I was I've been spending a lot of time, as always, on 17 meters. Uh, good old 17 meters. It's been in terrible shape. The conditions are just awful. We can't win for losing here, guys. We're, it's either, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of damned if we do and damned if we don't with the sunspots. If, if there's solar activity, it gets so intense that it increases absorption and knocks out 17 meters and above. And then when things calm down from the solar flares and the geomagnetic storms, the, the solar flux index that goes down below 90 and the band is dead for, for lack of sunspots. So it's, it's, it's really kind of disheartening. But a while back, um, and this was probably a month or two months ago, I was on 17 and I got into, into a conversation with a really well-known and about to become famous, uh, QRPer. Hold on a second. Let me go get my recorder. I got to walk across the shack. One second. It was Jay Bromley, W5JAY. And he's a he's a big guy in the um, um, in the QRP ARCI guy. He's pretty much the leader of the, of the pack over there. Hold on a second. Let me pull out my QRP quarterly and see who's who here. Let's see. Looking down, looking down the list here. Ah, here we go. QRP ARCI. Yeah, Jay Bromley, the B five J A Y. Uh, on the board of directors. Anyway, I was very pleased to work, Jay, on 17 meters. And I had the, um, the recorder here at hand. Let me see if I could play a little bit. This is, this is an actual QSO using my, uh, my 17 meter homebrew, uh, station, the, uh, the built out in the Azores with the, uh, W1FB receiver. Into CQR from W5JAY. <laughs> W5JAY. And to CQR. Okay, uh, sorry about the uh, the call there, uh, uh, Jay. I think uh, probably because we were talking about ZOI, Z was in my uh, my head there. So, uh, well, that's uh, some great stories. Yeah. Oh, I, I, and, uh, All right, there you go. So that's uh, you, you heard uh, me in conversation with Jay, and then I was very pleased that uh, a little while later, um, we found out that uh, that Jay has been elected to the QRP Hall of Fame. All right, excellent, great stuff, and um, and uh, I, I was I really enjoyed the, the reports out of uh, four days in May. In addition to the uh, the great stuff that Bob Crane sent me, the current issue of um, QRP Quarterly has a lot more information in there, including news of uh, of Jay's uh, elevation 
into the hallowed halls of the QRP Hall of Fame. Congratulations to him and to the others who who got who got in. Let's see. Oh, lately I've been listening a lot to um, uh, chat with the designers. An excellent program. George Heron um, and two ABP APB and uh, Joe and two CX have got this fantastic podcast. It's on the uh, available through the the website of the New Jersey QRP Club, and they've got all kinds of great information that they're putting out, all kinds of topics. I I put it on my MP3 player and listen to it while I'm on the um, the Washington D.C. Metro line on the way to work. I this week I almost missed my station, guys. You, it, it was so interesting that I just I almost missed the station. First time I've done that since we've been back from overseas, and I blame it on chat with the designers. Uh, great stuff. I'm um, Joe. Uh, make, there's there's little comments in there that really kind of caused me to kind of sit back and say, hmm, now I understand it. Joe, for example, was talking about the um, the strength. The adhesive strength of Crazy Glue, and he says that um, he pointed out that Crazy Glue has a great deal of strength, but not lateral strength, and that, I think that's a good thing because very often when I want to get a Manhattan pad off of the board, I just put a little screwdriver there and tap it on the side, and it just goes right off because of the chemical properties of Crazy Glue. It has it doesn't have a great deal of, of side strength. And uh, Joe's comments let me understand that. So I really encourage you guys to listen to Chat with the Designers. Alan Wolke of um, Tektronix fame has been there, giving all kinds of great information on, um, on how to use oscilloscopes, especially our beloved Tech 465s, but, but scopes in general. They um, Chat with the Designers had a wonderful show on, um, on grounding, Real good food for thought there. On um, they, they they have a lot of discussion on how to use microcontrollers, um, uh, just um, uh, antennas. Uh, there's they they've got a lot of shows out there now. I'm not sure what number they've been on, up to, but they must be up to. Well, they've they've been they've been at it for almost half a year and they've been doing it weekly. So there's quite a few shows there. They're really great. Uh, I really recommend it. And uh, you know, don't don't delay. Head over to their site and download their um their their podcast. You won't regret it. Great stuff to take to the beach with you too. Uh, have it on the MP3 player when you're sitting on the beach. Good stuff. Um, let's see. Oh well, I, I mentioned uh, microcontrollers there, and uh, Billias have been having great success with um, with Arduino and computers in general. Uh, um, Bob Crane had sent Billy uh, some um, motherboards and uh, and drives and a processor and everything else. Billy put it together in a computer, and this really got him going into the in the world of uh, kind of computer construction, build your own construction. And I think it it helped break down the kind of the fear barrier that was keeping him from uh, from actually giving it a try. He's continued with it and uh, and uh, has had great fun, and he's now configured his um, his computer into a, a massive a gaming machine. Now the problem is that once you get the massive gaming machine going, you want to spend all your time <laughs> shooting aliens and stuff, and that's what uh, what he's doing lately. So I've got to encourage him to get back into the uh, the building and the home brewing aspect of uh, computer technology. We had some big success. I I, um, I ordered up an Arduino board, and the Arduino board, by the way, was paid for through the uh, through the generosity of Solder Smoke listeners. I I used Every time somebody accesses the Amazon site through the link on our webpage, Kaching Solder Smoke Headquarters gets uh, 
gets a few pennies. They add up, and I noticed the other day that we had a gift certificate for about 20 bucks, which was about the cost of an Arduino board, so we, uh, we got uh, Billy's Arduino board that way, and uh, he got right into it, and he got that LED blinking, and he loaded the software, and he modified it, and he, uh, I was really pleased because I was at work. He sent me a, um, a link to a YouTube video that he made showing his Arduino board sending CQ on the LED. <laughs> So uh, that was a big success. We want to do more on Arduino, uh, and I've, I've got to we got to get some stuff to put, put sensors and um, and output servos and things like that for the Arduino. But because Billy really is interested in it, and I I think the technology is fascinating. Through it, I have finally sort of come to understand, in a way that I should have understood a lot earlier, kind of the role of microcontrollers and what we're talking about with microcontrollers. You know, I'm ashamed to say that I really didn't didn't get it um, I didn't really get it and even when I was um, running ads for um, uh, George Zack and Sierra Radio Systems for their Hamstack um, microcontroller uh, board and you know I've been talking a lot about Arduino and even when talking about the Arduino I still had in the back of my mind the thought that you know I really don't don't get it, but now I do. I can I can see it now, and I'll tell you why. One was watching Billy fool around with the Arduino, but also um, the, uh, the 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 frequency counter that I had, sort of the simple uh, basic frequency counter from N3ZI. Um, I was sitting here. I, I wanted to get it working. I don't know why. You know, sometimes you pick up a project and you just go with it. And this thing was sitting around on the workbench, and I decided I need to get this thing going again. And I started poking around with it, and I realized that there was only one little chip in this thing, and it does the whole frequency counter and display thing on one little chip. And I looked up, and there was my um, UK frequency counter, the 6000 frequency counter that I picked up at the Hamfest. Long-time listeners will remember this piece of test gear because it's the one in which I soldered a chip in upside down and had to do it all over again. That's a sad story. But anyway, you know, I, I in the course of repairing the um, the UK frequency counter, it was good because I, I got to understand how the different logic gates and counters and flip-flops were being used to, to do the frequency counting magic. And then I looked over at this uh, N3ZI uh, frequency counter and I said, wow, they're doing the whole thing there on one little chip and it's all in the software. And there it is. I mean, that's the um, that's the the beauty of, of this kind of microcontroller. You can do some really complex, sophisticated stuff with one little chip and and the software, and uh, that just opens up a world of possibilities. We're seeing that now with the um, um, the Whisper QRSS board that Hans Summers is um, is putting out, and it does all kinds of different modes. It does Whisper. It does uh, Hellscriber, and it does PSK31. I think it does PSK31, or, but, but a wide variety of digital modes on one little board. And, of course, all the digital magic is being done inside the microcontroller. I um, came across, and I put this up on the, uh, the board, a, a talk that, that, that George Zach gave at the, um, the uh, Hamfest at Dayton uh, this year. Really good. And I, it was really very illuminating. It came right at the right time, right as I was having these kind of microcontroller revelations or epiphanies. 
and George George's talk, which was really good, um, kind of solidified my new understanding of, of the role of microcontrollers and what we can do with them. And I really recommend it. At the end also, George answered a question that I've been having lately, and that is, um, what how, what's the relationship between Arduino boards and like Raspberry Pi boards? Because we know that Raspberry Pi is this new computer. It's about the size of a deck of cards, and it's got the complete computer on there. It's got everything. It's got, you know, the whole... Everything you'd think about it in a, in a small computer is there on this one little board, and you just hook up keyboards and mouse and uh, and um, and uh, screen, and then off you go. Um, and I, the point that that George made, I think, if I'm paraphrasing him right here, is that the the those kind of boards, the um, the Raspberry Pi, it really is much more sophisticated and requires things like an operating system. You have to put Linux in there. Whereas the microcontrollers, it's it's kind of much closer to the metal, and you just you don't need an operating system. You just put in lines of code, and uh, the thing will do whatever simple or complex task you you want it to do, but without the the complexity of the need for um, you know um, an operating system or anything like that that would come with um, using a true a true computer board. So um, yeah, I could definitely see the uh, the usefulness of the of the microcontrollers, uh, great stuff, and uh, I don't know. We may do more on it here. I could see applications around the shack already. I'd want to, you know, for for beacon transmitter, all kinds of different stuff, and I'm sure a lot of applications we haven't even thought about yet. Yet, you know, it's really amazing that one little chip, and they've got in there, they've got the memory in there, they've got the stuff for I/O ports, everything in that one little chip, and you know programmable and that's the uh the magic of it so three cheers for uh, microcontrollers and thanks to george zach for uh for uh, alerting me to this now he sent me this uh starter kit for the ham stack and i'm, I'm i've got to get going with it it's uh it's pick based and uh, looks like a lot of fun so check out the sierra radio systems website because i uh, i think if, if you haven't understood microcontrollers you'll probably be having the kind of epiphany that I've had, and you'll realize how useful they can be, and and what a great uh, addition, um, a piece of a, a component like uh, a Serial Radio Systems Hamstack can be for your uh, for your shack. Um, let's see what else is going on here. Okay, let's see. We talked about the microcontrollers. Oh, um, yeah, we're getting ready. We're going on. We're going to take a little bit of a trip uh, this summer, as you do, and I want to be able to bring a portable rig with me. So I've been working on the 20-meter double sideband rig that, uh, oh God, I've been working on this thing. I'm looking, where did I first build it? I first built it in the Azores. I modified it in London. I modified it in Rome. Now we're modifying it again here in Virginia. This is one of those rigs that uh, is never, ever finished. But we're, we're doing pretty well with it. And uh, I've taken what had been an outboard uh, kind of power amplifier. It was kind of silly to have a little portable rig like this with a a separate box for a linear to go from one watt to five watts or half a watt to five watts. So I've kind of joined the two boxes together and made it into one box and no need for all the switching to switch in the linear and switch out the linear. I just want to have it run it at five watts and keep it simple. I want to build into it a, um, a little L network, um, a matching network so that I could use it with end fed half wave antennas. I don't want to mess around 
carrying coax with me. I don't want to carry, you know, this the center fed. I don't want to have to put up a uh, a dipole with two or three supports or even an inverted V. Real simple, just an end fed half wave antenna off the back of the rig, and uh, and that'll be it. So I'm going to have a little L network in there, and I want to build a um, a little SWR indicator using a super bright LED. And I have found just the uh, the circuit that I want to build. It's you can see it on the on the web. It's on the uh, website of Alpha Alpha Five Tango Bravo, and um, it's called uh, it's HTTP www.aa Five tb.com slash coupler dot gif and Stephen Yates AA5TB designed this uh, about 12 years ago 20 meter end fed half wave antenna coupler and SWR bridge using uh, an LED for the SWR indication perfect just what I need that's what we're going to build and we'll take that to the beach with us uh, this summer um, let's see Oh, uh, magazine and publication news. Um, hey, uh, I after being away for a long time, I finally decided to renew my subscription to QST and my membership in the American Radio Relay League. I've been feeling kind of guilty about not uh, not being in the league, and you know, I'm like everybody else. I kind of grumbled a bit and said, "Well, you know, QST, it's not exactly what I'm I'm interested in. I'm more interested in uh, you know." Uh, QRP quarterly and Sprat and stuff like that, but but guys, it's important to to broaden your horizons and uh, and QST certainly helps you do that because they, uh, there's all kinds of columns in there and articles that uh, get you kind of out of your uh, out of your comfort zone, make you think about different aspects of technology that you might not have been been following. The I'm, I've always been interested in the satellites and in exotic modes like Earth, Moon, Earth. And uh, you don't see a lot of that kind of stuff in, in the kind of the more QRP-oriented uh, publications. So anyway, signed up for um, uh, ARRL membership in QST. And right off the bat, I was pleased because the first issue that came, and I think it was the July issue of QST, Steve Ford, one of the, uh, I, think one of the I think the managing editor there, Steve and I have been in correspondence over the years, for many years, had a, a really nice article in there about a um, a rig called the Goodwill Transmitter. This was a the, the project was that they were going to design a transmitter and come up with um, kind of a kit that could be sent off to amateurs or would be amateurs in developing countries, and they could build their own rig and get on the air. <clears throat> and um, this rig was designed by uh, Jay Rusgrove, W1VD, and it appeared in the December 1978 issue of QST. In April, I believe, of 79, a, a matching receiver, a direct conversion receiver, uh, was was presented. And together, this, this became sort of the goodwill station. And I think they, they collected money from hams around the world and came up with a fund and sent these things off and... And I know a number of them were built uh, by uh, amateurs in developing countries and placed on the air. This transmitter actually was the first, was the design for the very first real homebrew rig that I built. And I built it in the Dominican Republic. I got the circuit out of um, the uh, ARRL book QRP Classics. And it was presented as a 6-watt VXO-controlled 
monoband rig. Um, and that's, that's the rig that really got me started in home brewing and, uh, and QRP. And appropriately enough, I did build mine in the developing country. Uh, I built it in the Dominican Republic, probably 1993, 1994. Great fun. I built two of them. One for, um, the first one for 20 meters. And then using a board that I had kind of not done such a good job on with the, uh, the etching. But this was back when I was still etching boards, back before I was enlightened as to the uh, Manhattan style of construction or the ugly style of construction, back when I was still messing around with etchant and chemicals and turning my fingers green and spilling caustic chemicals on my blue jeans and all that stuff. But anyway, uh, I built a, a 20 meter and later a 30 meter version. The 30 meter version was built on the board that I had kind of messed up. And I used these rigs from the Dominican Republic with great success. Really, uh, really wonderful stuff. And so I was delighted to see Steve's article about the um, the origins of this. In, in the uh, QRP Classics books, they don't really dis- they don't really explain the uh, the the goodwill origin of this rig. Um, but anyway, I thought that was uh, a lot of fun. Hey, I hope I didn't mention this in my um, anyway. Three cheers for QST and AWRL and Steve Ford. Great job. Um, speaking of QST and AWRL and Steve Ford, one of the reasons that I renewed my my uh, subscription and membership was that a major benefit of being a part of the AWRL is the access that it gives you to the uh, archives of QST magazine. And I saw something on one of the mailing lists that kind of caught my attention. One of the mailing lists, I'm not sure, it might have been QRPL, it might have been QRP Tech. I think it might have been QRP Tech. That's the Chuck Chuck Adams uh, group. They started discussing simple receivers, and they mentioned a receiver called um, the Herring Aid 5, I think it was, so the Herring Aid. And this was the uh, companion receiver to the famous Tuna Tin 2. And the way they described it, it sounded very familiar. Uh, long-time podcast listeners will know that for years I've been searching for the schematic diagram of the uh, receiver project that I tried but failed to build as a teenage radio amateur. And um, the Herring Aid receiver, they started discussing it, and it sounded like the one that I was trying to build. The timing was just about right. I think it came out in, let's see, I think it must have been like 76 or 77, something like that. It was a time when I was um, kind of, I think, between high school and college. I had some time on my hands. I was looking to build something. And the thing is, the key part of it was that this herring aid rig, the, the, what they were trying to do is they were trying to come up with a design that could be reproduced using parts acquired completely from a local Radio Shack stop, sh- shop. So there was no kind of really specialized exotic components, and there was especially no, there was, you know, deliberately no variable capacitor, which would have been hard to come by in a uh, Radio Shack store. So they used Varactor tuning. Uh, Vericap diode was used as the tuning device for this direct conversion receiver, I uh, used my new membership privileges in the AWRL, went to the archive site, and sure enough, that that's it. That's the one. So now I know. I know 
the rig that I was trying to build. And this is on my to-do list because I intend to finish the project <laughs> and and finish this receiver. I think I was, looking back, I think I was tantalizingly close. I think I had gotten the whole thing working. The one thing that probably wasn't working and I didn't have the the experience or the tech uh, or the tech test equipment or the or the support network to make me realize this. I think what was really missing, what was wrong, was that the uh, the local oscillator just wasn't oscillating. I might I may have wound some of the coils wrong. I might not have realized that you have to fiddle with these things a little bit to get the oscillator going. Anyway, I, I'm pretty sure that that's what the uh, what the problem was. So. The uh, herring aid will have uh, another shot, and I will let you guys know uh, how things are going with that. Hey, um, let's see. A couple other things here we need to mention uh, before we open up the mailbag. I think we have some mail. There was a couple things that I spotted. Okay. Yeah, here it is. Got it. Now, this is you know one of the things I've been doing. Um, you know, I. I do a lot of ham radio reading on the uh, on the metro in the morning on the way to work. And lately, I've been pulling out the um, kind of the technical portions of QRP Quarterly, the idea exchange that uh, that has been in there for many years. What a real asset to ham radio this is! And there was an article in here called "Decoupling Capacitor Rules of Thumb" in the October 2002 edition of QRP Quarterly. And I'll read it to you. Someone on QRPL posted a shopping list of parts to stock up on ham fests and included 0.1 microfarad ceramic capacitors for use in DC power supply line decoupling. One of the NorCal tech gurus, Dave Fifield, 86A, had this reply. 0.1 microfarad caps are typically only good until about 20 megahertz when they start to become inductive. 20 megahertz is their self-resident frequency. 0.01 microfarad caps have a typical self-resident frequency of 100 megahertz and 1,000 PF caps of a few hundred megahertz. A rough rule of thumb would be that 0.1 microfarad capacitors are good for decoupling at 160, 80, 40 meters, and 30 meters only. If you have been homebrewing at 20 meters and above, I recommend decoupling with more than one capacitor. From 20 meters to 6 meters, I'd use 0.1 microfarad in parallel with a 0.01 microfarad. And for 2 meters or 1.5 meters, use 0.01 microfarad with 1,000 PF. For 70 centimeters, you should use 1,000 PF with 100 PF. That's really interesting to me. I, you know, I've, I've been, um, been, using 0.1 microfarad caps just sort of willy-nilly on all my rigs. Every time I need to decouple something or knock down some RF, I'll throw a 0.1 microfarad cap in there. And I'm now I'm thinking that this might have been the cause of some of the trouble and heartache that I've had with my 17-meter rigs because, you know, they're getting close to that 20-meter, that uh, 20 megahertz self-resonant frequency on 0.1 microfarad caps. So given my... Uh, my orientation towards 17 meters and uh, and and 20 meters. I'm thinking I'm going to have to stock up not so much on the 0.1 microfarad capacitors, but uh, on 0.01 microfarad caps to stay away from the dreaded self-resonant frequency. Let me know what you guys think about that. Um, I uh, I thought that was a very interesting and useful article. The kind of stuff that you find 
regularly there in um, in QRP quarterly. That's what, one of the things that makes it such a, a wonderful uh, magazine. Hey, I got a, I got a sidewalk astronomy uh, article uh, story to share with you. I've been the Saturn has been high in the summer sky, and uh, before we got hit with the uh, the heat waves, I'd been taking the uh, the telescope out to the front yard and showing people the um, uh, the rings of Saturn, which is always the real eye popping, uh, amazing view, especially if somebody hasn't seen it before through a telescope. It's uh, they actually find it hard to believe that they're they're looking at it live. Anyway, uh, I had the telescope out, and we had a, a the kids left the light on in the car, and the battery drained down, and the the battery was dead. So anyway, I called a taxi cab company around here. If your battery goes dead, if you call the taxi cab guys, they'll come over with jumper cables and get your car going for you for a, a moderate fee. So anyway, I called up a cab company, and while I was waiting, I was sitting out in the front yard with the telescope looking at Saturn, and here comes the uh, the cab driver, and he and I have a little chat, and while we're waiting for, while we're hooking up the cables, uh, I tell him about the telescope, and he seems interested in it. So once we get the car going, I uh, tell him, come on over, let's take a look. You want to see Saturn? <laughs> this guy was, uh, like like many of the cab drivers in this area, he's a, a new immigrant, and he's uh, from from West Africa. And uh, we got to talking, and I said, okay, here, take a look. Take a look at Saturn. This was one of the most pleasing um, kind of sidewalk astronomy episodes I've ever had because this guy was completely blown away by Saturn. He was just amazed. He couldn't believe it. He looked. He must have looked through the eyepiece and looked up at Saturn, looked at the eyepiece. He must have gone through that four or five times. And he, he was just so grateful and so pleased to see it. And he... Uh, he, uh, he he wants to show it to his kids, so I hope we give an opportunity to give have his kids uh, take a look through, and it's uh, a reminder of the uh, <clears throat> the great uh, happiness that can come through sidewalk astronomy, a practice formed actually originated by John Dobson, the uh, the Californian kind of hippie hippie sidewalk astronomy kind of guy. The guy, he was, a, he was a Buddhist monk and he escaped from the monastery because he got interested in astronomy and built all these very cheap telescopes. And the mount that we use is the Dobsonian mount, sort of the lazy Susan, easy to move, easy to point uh, mounting system for a telescope. So three cheers for, for John Dobson and the uh, San Francisco hippie sidewalk astronomy movement. <laughs> We had great fun with it here in Northern Virginia. Um, let's see. To, 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 to looking at my list, I think we've got most everything here. One thing I wanted to do, guys, you know, um, we don't talk about the news or politics or economics here, and we won't. We're not going to do that. But yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're in sort of tough economic times, and the tough economic times are hitting people in kind of unexpected ways. And I saw on the GQRP Club a... Um, uh, a series of messages that made me think, "Wow, our uh, we we should do something to help our our British colleagues, or uh, the people who through these years, have, through all these years, have been putting out our magnificent and beloved Sprat magazine." Um, I guess because of the economic hard times, the British Postal Service has significantly raised its rates, and this is having a big impact on the budget of the GQRP club and it's caused them to, to cancel some of their annual publications. So for example, their members guide, I always used to like to get the members guide 
I used to look up and see, my, make sure my call sign was in there and uh, see who else was in there from the various countries around the world. But they've, um, you know, the uh, austerity has kicked in and they can't, they can't do that anymore. And it made me realize that uh, what, what a tremendous resource and, and asset GQRP Club is. So here's what I'm proposing. Let's, let's help out GQRP. And the way you can do that is that if you, um, if you aren't a member, become a member and uh, and sign up it's it's really easy it's really easy all the instructions are right on their webpage gqrp.com backslash join.htm but if you just go to gqrp.com it gives you all the instructions you can you can subscribe by email by paypal um, in the u.s it's 18 dollars a year you can't subscribe to too many magazines for 18 dollars a year germany 12 euros belgium 12 euros Australia, 22 Australian dollars, um, let's see, 12 euros all the way through New Zealand, 28 New Zealand dollars. There you go. Um, sign up. And here's a suggestion. Given the hard times that, uh, that, uh, that the club is going through financially, throw in a couple extra euros or dollars or whatever when you give them the subscription. It's, uh, I intend to do the same, and uh, we got to support our uh, fellow radio amateurs who through these many, many years, have been providing such a, a wonderful magazine. I've got uh, the spring 2009 issue at hand here, and I realize I haven't spent enough time with this as I should have, so I'm going to stick it in my pocket, and wherever we're going this afternoon, Spratt will be going with me. Thanks to the Spratt guys. Thanks, uh, George. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Graham. Thanks, everybody involved. What a wonderful publication. All right, that brings us to the uh, solder smoke mailbag portion of today's program. Solder Smoke Mailbag. Ooh, that's awesome. All right. Solder Smoke Mailbag. Not much mail now. Everybody's busy barbecuing, going to the beach, doing stuff like that. But we got a nice email just now. Just as I was preparing to do this, I got an email from Andy, GM0NWI in Bonnie, Scotland saying uh getting real withdrawal symptoms here dude just wondering where wondering it's been a while when's the next issue of solder smoke due for release <laughs> okay andy well your 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 email's very timely because we're just finishing this one up hey as i'm doing this i got the uh 17 meter re- receiver on and this is kind of interesting i this hasn't happened to me before i turned on my 17 meter rig and i heard a familiar voice coming out from not too far away and it's uh AM. I could hear the carrier in there, and I tuned it so the carrier's at zero beat, and there it is, WA1HLR. I'm listening to, to Tim here on uh, on 17 meters. What's the world coming to? Oh, man, I'm telling you. Anyway, it was good to hear him. I've been listening to Tim on and off since about 1972. <laughs> Always on AM. Let's see what else we have here. Ah, uh, yeah, this was a good good email. I'm going to probably put parts of the text up there. This is from uh, from one of our very frequent correspondents and uh, somebody who's been very supportive of the podcast over the years, Brent, KD0GLS, out there in Minneapolis. Dear Bill, I must say that I'm excited to hear that Billy has taken an interest in microcontrollers, but I'm thrilled to hear that you might be as well. Your recent blog entries about Arduinos and Billy's progress with them here were, were understandable and interesting. 
but when I saw the one about the homebrew CPU, I thought to myself, do I have the right blog? This can't be Bill, I've, the Bill I've been listening to all these years. <laughs> Don't worry, Brent. Don't worry. I'm going to gonna remain an analog, hardware-defined uh, radio kind of guy, <laughs> I think. I don't know. Uh, the, although the microcontroller thing is kind of interesting, and I, I like the idea that I could you know, be able to say I wrote a line of code or two, but only one or two, and that's, I think, possible with microcontrollers. Anyway, uh, Brent stare, shares a, sh a short story about uh, his introduction into the world of uh, microcontrollers. I'm going to put it up on the blog, and um, he very kindly extended an interest in... Uh, uh, an offer to assist Billy and I as we struggle through the world of microcontrollers. Thanks very much. You know, I, I do feel kind of the radio gods pulling me in this direction because I mentioned earlier that I have in my hands Spring 2009 issue of Sprat, issue number 138, and I just opened it up, and there's the um, an article called Starting with Pick by Paul DeBono, NH9 Hotel 1, Foxtrot, Quebec, out there in Malta. Seems to be just the thing I want. I don't know. There's a picture of the main bugs by W1REX. I feel myself being pushed by my destiny into the uh, open bug arms of a microcontroller somewhere. Anyway, uh, let's see. What else we have in the mailbox? Um, what else we got here? Uh, doo -doo 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 -doo. Ah, yeah. This is, uh, this is some interesting stuff. Uh, Sidney Ross Terry has sent us, uh, his call is K5SRT, and he sent us some information on the World War II Airborne Radio Team. Been working on some of the rigs in the big bombers. Very interesting stuff. And uh, thanks for, for keeping us up to date on that, uh, Sydney. Let's see what else we got here. Um, I saw a really interesting uh, email on, the, uh, on QRPL from Tony Fishpool on the six circuit board techniques that he uses. Tony has gone away from um, Manhattan pads and he's, he's now drilling those little holes there onto the boards and that's got me thinking that I should be thinking along the same lines. Very interesting stuff. And then today, just today, we got a number of emails. Um, one from our friend out there in California, Roger. One second here. Let me get, up, get that one on the screen here. Take a second. Da, da, da. Roger sent me this one, and others also sent it sent it to me. Also, there's a Japanese CubeSat called FitSat One that's being constructed, and one of the things, one of the features that it has, that it's a cool little device. I see it. it you know, if you go on the web and you look for FitSat One, you'll see it being held in lovingly in the hands of one of the creators. It's a little box. It's like a quarter the size of a shoebox with the antennas sticking off the edge. It looks really good. They have a unique feature on this thing. It's got flashing LED lights on the exterior of the spacecraft, and they're going to use it to try to send visible messages by Morse code from space. How cool is that? I mean, uh, you know, for years, as you guys have heard, I, I go out and look at the satellites as they pass overhead. I never dreamed that I'd be able to look up and see one flashing CW messages to me. That is really cool. So anyway, keep, literally, keep your eyes open for FitSat1. And thanks to Roger for sending us the uh, 
alerting us to that information. And somebody else earlier on in the day, this, this thing really took the uh, ham radio blogosphere by storm, and for good reason. Somebody else had sent it to me earlier, and uh, thanks to them also. Let's see. That's about it for uh, for Solder Smoke Mailbag this week, and I see that it's bringing us pretty close to the end of our program, a little bit shorter than normal. But uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Have a, have a great rest of the summer. I don't know whether we're going to have one for Aug for um, for August because we're going to be going away for a while. Maybe one before we go, but if not, see you in September. Seven three from Northern Virginia. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi.